turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you will know this as the Psalm for His mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136. And what I'd like for us to do this morning is something a little different. going to take a little cooperation here, but I think we can do this and enjoy the time together here and make this a special thing. This is actually the way that the psalm was supposed to be sung from the best we could understand. The, the worship leader would give uh, in the temple, the, the song leader would give the first part of the verse and the group or the choir would echo back, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, you always sing better standing up, so let's go ahead and just stand up if we would. And uh, we're not going to sing this. Uh, Somebody said, did this song have a melody? As far as we know, all of the psalms at one time had a melody, but that information is lost in the darkness of history. We don't know what it is. Anyone who says they know is just simply making something up. Uh, But what we'll do this morning is I'll read the first part and you'll answer, for his mercy endureth forever. All right, so let's try that here. And we're going to go the whole way through the psalm, all 26 verses. We don't want to leave anything out. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. You can do better than that. Amen. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night for his mercy. To him that made great lights for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped there. Um, Excuse me. (coughs) To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. Excuse me. Um, where is, I'm sorry, is Sarah here? Go get the cough drops off my dresser upstairs, please. Not going to make it this morning, I apologize. Let's start over in verse 10. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. And brought, I'm sorry, with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divideth the Red Sea into parts, 
for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I apologize, the the sinuses didn't really kick in until I started reading, but uh, Psalm 136 is a special psalm in the Bible. It is, for his mercy endureth forever, and yet, when we read the psalm, how many of you have read this psalm in your regular Bible reading, what happens? For his mercy endureth forever, okay, for his mercy endureth, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, that's human nature. But have you ever stopped to think what it means for His mercy endureth forever? Uh, Brother Doug, there's somebody that thinks they can't get in out there at the front door if you'll take care of that. Um, Boy, distractions today, amen? Amen. But I want you to look with me at the first three verses here. The first phrase of these first three verses is all exactly the same. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Verse 2. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Verse 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And if you'll skip down to the last verse, the circle is completed. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. Now, we do not use numbers. There are those out there that use numbers to understand their Bible. We, we don't do that here. But numbers can help us. When something's repeated three times in a row, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. That's important. When it's repeated here three different times at the beginning of this, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Now, what I want us to do is go through the psalm here 
And it's going to give us reasons why His mercy endureth forever. How that we can see that God's mercy has endured. And why do we want to know and, and remember how God's mercy has endured forever so that we can have hope that His mercy still endures to our day. Amen. And then once we've gone through the psalm, what I want us to do, and by God's grace we're going to go back and we're going to look at how this psalm was used in the history of Israel. And then I pray that we can make an application that will help you and I today uh, in this very hour in which we live. So we start here at the beginning. And the first four verses here of this chapter give us a picture of God's mercy enduring forever because He is God. And there is none other. Uh, I get a little frustrated as people will say, but we all serve the same God and we've been through this many times. No, we do not. My God doesn't need his mother to help him out. I'm sorry to put it that way, but I'm sick and tired of people running around talking about a God who has no compassion and no mercy and no love except that his mother begs it from him. What a foolish and human degradation of the holiness of God whose mercy endures forever. It's not just simply a difference in an opinion. It is a blasphemy against the character and the holiness of God. I'm a little frustrated with people who just run around saying, God is good, God is good. Let's, let's just enjoy everything because, hey, wait a minute, the same God that will forgive us for our sins made a place called hell. Same God. And people say, how can a God of love make a place called hell and put people there? Oh, that's very simple, my friend. What else is he supposed to do after he's done all that he has so that you don't have to go there? What else can he do? Is he going to rescind his holiness and his godliness and just let you into heaven anyway? Again, I go back to the same thing. What a demeaning human image of the God of heaven. It says here, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Now, quite a while back, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, and then later we zeroed in just on the Beatitudes and, and spent weeks and weeks and weeks just going through those things. And we studied this idea of what mercy truly is and what mercy isn't. Mercy is what is received by the vanquished at the hand of the victor 
when the battle is over. You see, we often think of mercy as, well, God just gives us his mercy. No, he does not. God doesn't just pour his mercy out on people for the sake of doing it. He pours his mercy out on those who admit total and complete defeat. They cannot fight against themselves and against sin. And they refuse to fight against God. And they surrender. Isn't that what happened to you when you got saved? If it didn't, I want to challenge you. You better check what kind of salvation you have. Because the Bible salvation is the total absolute, complete surrender of the human soul to Jesus Christ. That's why it says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? What's the first part of that confession? The Lord. Does that mean you're going to be sinlessly perfect? I mean, I don't know where this stuff comes from, but there are people that believe that if you really get saved, you'll never sin again. Uh, I, I would suggest that the first place they ought to look is the mirror, amen, before they start going around accusing other people of not being saved. Maybe they ought to just check their own lives out a little bit because the simple truth of the matter is, what does 1 John 1, 9 mean? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we never sinned after we truly get saved. Surrendering to his lordship is not an end to sin in our life. Oh, how we wish it were. But what it is, is a contract with God that when we do sin, that's where we're going, back to God. Amen? That when we do fail, we're not going to try to sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist. We're not going to lie about it. We're going to go back to God. And I praise the Lord today that you don't have to come and tell me all your sins to get forgiveness. We all go to Jesus together. And he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Why? For he is You see, what is the end of the Lord's mercy? Uh, forever. Amen? That's what it says. It says, for his mercy endureth forever. As a parent, sometimes you just get to a point where you say, I've had enough! But you know what? God never gets there. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses from every sin. And God has obligated himself to forgive us because of the sacrifice of Christ. That does not mean we presume upon his grace. And just go out and live a reckless sinful life knowing that God will forgive us. But what it does mean is you're willing to come back. He's willing to forgive. 
Now, not everything is taken away. There are some scars at times. There are some things that we do in sin that we will never get back. There's no guarantee that God is going to give you back the years that you gave to the flesh and to the world. But there is the promise that His mercy endures forever. You say, where do I start? Right where you are. You go to the Lord and accept His mercy. When you accept mercy, you know what that means? It means the battle's over. Mercy is not permission to continue fighting. Mercy is how we're going to rebuild this war-torn war-torn country, this sin-torn life through God's direction and God's goodness and all God's people said. You see, we give thanks unto the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. The second verse says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Oh, aren't you so glad? Now you'll notice that second gods in your Bible is little g, little o, little d, little s. You see, he is the God of the gods. You see, we get this idea that there's only one God and none of this other stuff really matters. And so we sometimes actually play with idolatry. Let me tell you something. The gods of this world are not to be played with. They're serious stuff because they're an affront to the holiness of God. They're a substitute. You know, some people would rather wash and wax their car than open up God's Word and learn something from it. That's a God. There are people all over this city today who are working as hard as they can to get ahead to grab a hold of this thing called the American dream to have what they think they need to have. And what happens when you finally get it? The government taxes it away. Isn't that what happens? Or thieves steal it? Or guys like Bernie Madoff trick you out of it? The treasure that's laid up in heaven is forever because it's protected by God. But don't pretend that these gods aren't real. They are. Worship the God of gods. And by the way, you see, every one of us, if if we just allow ourselves to be mindful of it, have heard somebody take the name of our Lord in vain this past week. Have you not? 
oh my God this and oh my God that. And I remember I was in the post office. It was standing in line and one of the guys began taking the name of the Lord in vain. He said, Jesus this and that. And, and I, all of a sudden I heard, hey, it's not his fault. It was the post office manager. I said, wow, I almost said amen, but I didn't. I should have. But we hear this all the time. Now just stop for a minute. You see, his mercy endures forever. I don't have to protect him. He protects me. Do you see the difference? I am so glad that my God does not need my protection. And I am glad that historically I can tell you and prove out of the history books that the Baptist people have never taken the sword to protect their religion. Well, there were some Baptist people who fought in the revolution. There were some Baptist people who fought in the war of freedom in Holland under William of Orange, and the only thing they asked in return was to be allowed to worship God without government intervention. I love the story. William of Orange went to the Baptist and said, you have uh, rescued the cause of our freedom at a critical time. He says, we're setting up the new government of what would become Holland or the Netherlands. And he said, you know, we need to pick a state church and we'd like it, I'd like it to be you, the Baptist. And they quickly returned that uh, if we became the state church, we would cease being Baptist. And so he went to the Reformed church and said, hey, would you be the state? Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist today. Because historically, they've stood on the fact that he is the God of gods. And his mercy endureth forever. He doesn't need to be protected. He protects me. Let's look at that third one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. How many of you get tired of all the regulation in your life? I mean, if you rent an apartment, used to be, you paid your rent, you lived there. Now you get a lease every so many years that's 40-some pages long so you can rent an apartment. When we did a mortgage assumption on this building, praise God, it's paid off now, all we were doing was transferring the debt from the former synagogue to the insurance company, which was going to carry uh, the balance of, of uh, $200,000, just a small portion of the purchase here, and they were going to carry that balance. Do you know that it took three lawyers over a hundred pages of tight material and the lawyer's bill was so big that they finally decided they couldn't charge us everything that they had expended in coming up with a piece of paper that said we're going to pay off the former synagogue and finish with them and now the insurance company is going to hold the mortgage. Isn't that insanity? But you see, that word Lord is talking about people with authority. If you live in a building, you have a landlord. 
uh, in old England, uh, you had the Lord that controlled a certain amount of property that was his estate. That didn't, uh, that means technically that he owned the homes and, and the businesses and everything that went on and he was the overseer of that district. In, in many ways, we have uh, uh, a mayor who, who wishes to be Lord and determine how much you eat and all the kinds of food I, I get. But you know what? As I get weary and tired and frustrated with all the regulation and rules of life, I need to remember that he is the Lord of the Lords. Jesus is still in charge, my friend. For his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders. Do you get that? There's nobody like him. There is no one that is worthy to be compared. Only God does great wonders. And his mercy endureth forever. Uh, to me, the greatest wonder, though I think about creation, I think about how many earths it would take to fill up the sun in volume. And then you look at the different size of the stars. And before you can even get on a scale where you can start talking about the giant stars, our sun disappears. I mean, it's unbelievable what is out there. But the God who created that vast universe wants to give me mercy is that not the greatest wonder of all amen. amen that he is willing to be individually involved in your life in my life it's unbelievable we need to give thanks to him who alone doeth great wonders. Amen. Then we move into a ne the next session here, and it gives us God's mercy and God's goodness in creation. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. Now, how long did it take God to figure out that the earth needed to be tilted on approximately 23-degree axis and rotate in an elliptical orbit with a mean distance of 93 million miles from the sun to get just enough heat and to produce all of the life that we have here on earth. How long did it take God to figure that out? Absolutely no time at all. Because in wisdom he already knows. I hope you never tire of hearing it. I'm going to repeat it as often as it fits in the sermon. But only God could waste this entire universe to stick one little planet somewhere in it. 
and put us on it. Only God could do that. It's a testimony to God. And God, by wisdom, made the heavens. He put all of those things in order and in direction, and, and it all works, and it makes for a very cold day today. But you know what? It's not near as cold here as it is on the dark side of the moon. Amen? How many of you know what happens on the moon? On the sunny side, it's about 125 degrees. On the dark side, it's 285 degrees below zero. Couldn't exist there. But God made this wonderful thing called an atmosphere, the heavens. And it works to protect us. By the way, what would happen to you if you could survive? Let's just... If you could survive in outer space without a spacesuit and you were to stand at the top of Earth's atmosphere without any protection at all, what would happen to you? Well, you'd be fried by the cosmic rays in just a matter of seconds. But the heavens protect you from those things. Isn't God good? Who figured all this out? He said, let there be light. How many of you have ever seen a, a chart of the electromagnetic spectrum? Is it, have you ever looked at one of those things? It's an amazing thing. Human vision gets a splinter in the middle. But other things that are considered light, you have radio waves and and AM and FM and, and all of the waves that we use to transmit. And you have ultrasonic and infrasonic. And, and I mean, you can take light and burn a hole through steel with it. And God said, let there be light. And all of those things were there. Look at the next one. We're going to have to hurry or we're not going to finish this. To him, verse 6, that stretched out the earth above the waters. Now, doesn't that sound just a little strange to you? How many of you would say, how does that work? Stretched out the earth above the waters. Um, can I ask you, what happens when you get below sea level? Uh, the water comes in now, doesn't it? Uh, it's not a wise thing to build below sea level. Uh, talk to New Orleans. Uh, that's what it means, the earth above the waters. That the water does not cover the earth. But by the, how many of you have ever drunk water from a well? Uh, guess what? Where's that water? It, it's below the earth that God stretched over it. Aren't you glad it's down there? I mean, if there were not a water table underneath the earth, there'd be very difficult thing to have a city and a normal town. To him that made great lights. And now we're going to get into a subset here. God made great lights the sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. 
I'll tell you, I love to be out away from all the lights and just look up into the sky on a clear night. Tell you what, there are few things that are more beautiful than a night sky. Amen? It looks like you could just reach out and touch one of them stars. And yet they tell us traveling at the speed of light, it would take you hundreds and even thousands of years to get to the closest one. For his mercy endureth forever. Amen. The biggest part of this psalm is going to talk about God protecting and giving freedom to his people Israel. Remember, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And of course, the Bible uses physical living history as a picture, as an illustration of what God wants to do in our lives today. Egypt is always a picture of the world and bondage to sin, just like the uh, children, you ever wonder why people do all the horrible things they do? It's because they've been enslaved by sin. Nobody gets up and says, you know, I want to murder my family today. Let's just get this done right. You get these troubled people and they are always, you know, we try to explain it away by saying, oh, I don't, but people do. They were abused and they were this and they were that. No, they were in the bondage of sin. They chose to put themselves in a place and to follow the devil to a place where it actually seemed good to kill other people. You see, that's the devil's idea of mercy. God's is the forgiveness of sins, is freedom from bondage. So to him that smote Egypt in their firstborn and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand, he divided the Red Sea and made Israel to pass through the midst of it and overthrew Pharaoh and his host. The strongest nation on earth was humbled before the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Brought to nothing. It's amazing to me that the psalmist then says, to him which led his people through the wilderness. Now why were they wandering in the wilderness, my friend? Because of the sin of God's people. They refused to believe that he could take them into the land of promise and they could conquer. And yet his mercy endured for those 40 years while those that sinned against God suffered and the next generation was raised up, but his mercy endured forever. Amen. Now, I'll tell you, uh, this idea of smiting great kings... And then it lists Og, king of Bashan, and Shion, king of the Amorites. You know, they're repeatedly listed in the Bible, and historians want to make these two kings as if they were nothing, little tribal leaders. Uh, let me tell you something. If 
King David had written a story, had written this psalm, and we believe that he did, and put these people in here that God did this great thing and overthrew great kings and listed two nobodies, what would people do? They'd laugh. Let me tell you something. There's a lot we don't know about history. The, king of the, the kings of the Philistines didn't laugh when they put these names down here. Later on in history, as the kings of Assyria who had subjugated Israel because of their sin, and later on Darius the Greek would even read how the great kings were destroyed before the kings of these people and their name. Darius wasn't laughing when he stopped the building of the temple. Just because you don't know about them doesn't mean that everybody who was living when David wrote this psalm didn't know about them. Amen? And so we go on and see God's greatness in his king and gave a land for an heritage. By the way, can I ask you a question? Who's living there today? In that land that God gave an heritage to the sons of Abraham? There is no parallel in human history to that. There is no other people group dispossessed from their land for such a long time. Now, I know every once in a while an Indian treaty comes in and says, we want Manhattan back. I'll tell you what, I'd almost be willing to give it to them. How about you? But the simple truth of the matter is, are the Indians ever going to get Manhattan back? Uh-uh. Not going to happen. But Israel got Jerusalem back. Well, maybe his mercy doesn't endure forever. Not maybe. It does. It says here, verse 23, the scope is now lowered to his considerations. For Israel, who hath remembered us in our lowest state and hath redeemed us from our enemies. But there's a personal application who giveth food to all flesh. Now, there's a call to give thanks unto God for his mercy endureth forever. Now this is the psalm. If we stopped right here and gave an invitation, I, I think our time would be well spent today. But I want us to just look a little bit about how this psalm was used and make an application if we can. Turn with me to First Chronicles. And though this does not record the entire psalm of, the, uh, of, of 136... It certainly would be uh, probably the basis or the starting point for that. First Chronicles chapter 16. David had tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He did it the way after the Philistines making a cart. Uzzah was killed. 
because he reached out to touch the ark. Whole nother sermon. Let me tell you something. The ark could not be allowed to roll off the cart. But in order to keep the ark from rolling off the cart, Uzzah died. And David stopped and set the ark into the house of Obed-Edom where it stayed for months and while they tried to figure out. And finally, David called everybody back after he'd blessed Obed-Edom's house and all that was there. And he began to look into the law of God and he realized that he had done it the wrong way. Only the priests, the Kohathites, were the ones that were to carry the ark on their shoulders. And he even told them in chapter 15, because you weren't sanctified because you priests didn't do what was right at the beginning. A man died. They took seven steps, offered sacrifices, brought the ark to Jerusalem where David had pitched a tent for it. And David, in verse 1 of chapter 16, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings And he goes on to talk about the celebration that was made. And David delivered this psalm to be sung. And let's go down to verse 34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. You see, we have David bringing up this theme, and we believe uh, that he was the author of Psalm 136. It's what Maybe the whole psalm wasn't written at this point. This is part of another one. But David sat down and put these words together under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God for you and I to pay attention. And the theme was first brought up when they made things right and submitted to doing things God's way. You know what? We need to stop and think today. There are things in our lives that we're doing because we want to do right, but we're not doing it God's way. And I promise you, it's not going to prosper. Now, hopefully, you won't find death in the family or something like that. But I'll tell you, a whole lot of children have lost their desire to serve God because things weren't done right in their family. We've lost a generation. It needs to be brought back. But it won't come back until the parents come back. There's a lot of things that we could do the wrong way, trying to do right. That's why people put rock music in their church services and do all these foolish things today. I just want to stick with the Bible, my friend. How about you? It's because his mercy endures forever. We don't have the option of changing his words. We have the duty to do it God's way. Amen? Turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7.
says, when all the children of Israel saw how fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Solomon had just built the temple. They had just put the ark in the temple and offered the first sacrifices to sanctify and cleanse the temple area for worship. The Bible says fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices on the brazen altar. And the Shekinah glory, the cloud of God's glory filled the house. And when the people saw it, what did they do? For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Tell you what, I think they sang Psalm 136. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is a little different circumstance here. Look at verse 3. The children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. He was afraid of the promise of war that was coming and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And we don't have time to go through the whole story this morning, but as they were gathered there together in the court of the house of God, praying and asking God for deliverance, one of the priests stood up and said, here's God's answer. You're not going to fight in this battle. God is going to win the battle for you without a war. And we get down here and Jehoshaphat gets his soldiers together and goes down against them as he's commanded to do, but they're not going to fight. In verse 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Can I ask you a question? How many of you feel the battle going on in our society today? How many of you... Just feel the pressures. And read uh, Brother Shaw's prayer letter summarized in the, in the bulletin. You, you need to pray for the Shaws. They're, they're really having a difficult time down there in Brazil as they've gone back to try to reestablish that church and just found a lot of things were out of order. But... You have to remember something. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. You know the reason we don't win against temptation? Is because we try to fight the battle instead of the Lord fighting the battle. Do you know what will solve the problem? If you, if you feel the oppression of the devil, do you want, you want to get rid of that? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy 
endureth forever. No, it's not a charm or an amulet that you use. But if you will turn your heart toward the God of heaven and understand what these verses are talking about, let me tell you something. The devil is not going to be found where the praise and glory of God is being given. It's just not going to be there. Can I make it just a little lower the scale just a little bit here? How many of you are starting to feel the pressure of the holiday season? I mean, there's an awful lot going on. There's a lot going on at our church, amen? And, and we want there to be things to do and, and participate in, and we want our worship to God to be active, not just something we put on Sunday morning, but something that's got a practical and living application, something that takes time. Not only should we give God money during the offering time, we should give Him our time and our energy and our affections and our heart and our, and our life. Amen? It needs to be invested in the service of the Lord. But it gets so difficult just trying to live. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Well, I already have. So I just took some time and offered Psalm 136 to the Lord. You know, it changes your perspective on everything. When you begin to understand that it's his mercy. How did I get that mercy? Well, that was total surrender. How did I totally surrender to him? Well, that's what happened when I got saved. That's what happened when I got baptized. That's what happens every day that I serve the Lord. And when I don't, guess what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. He delivered Israel. He'll deliver you. He defeated great and powerful nations so that his people could go forward. He'll do the same today. He fed the children of Israel with manna. He'll take care of you. But the problem is, we got to give thanks. Because his mercy endures forever. We've got to put ourselves in a place where we can receive his mercy. By the way, we won't take time to turn to the passages, but in Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesies that this psalm will be once again sung in Israel just before the temple is destroyed and the city is laid waste. And in Ezra, we have it recorded as they laid the foundation for the temple. What? They sang this song again. There are times when a saved person can get away from the Lord. Typically, we call it backsliding. 
We call it just growing comfortable with the Lord. Getting complacent, allowing our affections to be taken off. And, and our lives will reflect that. There is nothing more miserable in this world than a Christian who is not serving God. But what did they do when they rebuilt the temple? Now remember what happened when they rebuilt the temple? The old men cried because it was such a pitiful substitute for the one that Solomon had built. Read Ezra chapter 3, it's there. The young men rejoiced because at least there was a temple again. And what did God say? I'll make this second temple that is so insignificant in your eyes greater than the first. And it was the second temple upon whose pavement stones Jesus Christ himself stood and talked. Can't get any greater than that, amen? See, when... We seek God's forgiveness and he gives it to us. It's time to get up and serve him. Thank him for his mercy endures forever. Amen. When we're serving God and see his glory and his greatness as they did in the temple that Solomon had built originally. Guess what? It's time to be thankful for his mercy endureth forever. When we're facing a battle that we know we cannot win. Guess what? Stop trying to fight the battle and do what you're supposed to do. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. He will fight the battle, just like he did in the days of Jehoshaphat. And when you're tired of serving yourself and doing things your own way and you come back to the rebuilding, guess what? may not be what it was the first time around. But you take time to give thanks unto the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And he'll make it count for his glory and his praise. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. And all God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that not one of us in this room this morning would withhold from you that praise and that thanksgiving which is due your name for all the great and good things that you have done. Lord, every one of us is at different places and different struggles in our life right now. The answer is the same. To give thanks unto the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Lord, we pray that these would not be just words that we lightly read over. But you would impress the true and honest meaning of them in our souls. And Lord, as we look at all the things that put pressure upon us to keep us from doing the things we ought to do, help us to offer this psalm as an object, as a gift of worship to you, whose mercy 
truly endures forever. We pray that you would give grace to be obedient to your word. Lord, whether it be for salvation, baptism and church membership, to be restored, whatever it is, that you would be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.